I'd like to say good evening to you, and it's a real joy to be here. Uh, last year, after we were here, uh, Deborah and I both noted that uh, without a doubt, this was one of the friendliest churches and one of the most enjoyable places to worship uh, that we experienced last year. And when your pastor gave me the opportunity to come back, I jumped right at it uh, because I tell you, you guys know how to worship and you know how to have a good time here. Uh, the, the thing about worship, and a lot of people don't understand this, every once in a while I'll hear somebody say, well, I just don't feel like worshiping today. Well, it's not about you. You, you need to understand that. It's about God. And, and in worship, if you learn who God is and what God has done for you, that's what drives worship. The feelings will come, style, all that's preference, but that's what drives worship. The second thing that I like so much about this church, Pastor, is all of the young people that are here. I go to so many different places and yeah, give them a hand. I go to so many different places that you could count on one hand the number of young people and uh, I just sat there with a smile on my face seeing youngster after youngster come in. Of course, uh, the, the children and young people over the church, they're they're beginning to get my goat just a little bit over there. I've been there 35 years. I'll turn 60 this year. And one little girl came up to me the other day, and she's probably six or seven. She said, Preacher, I want you to do my ceremony and marry me when I get older. Do you promise you'll do that? I said, Oh, I promise. And then she said, If you're still alive. And uh, so they, they know how to put me in my place. And, I, I have brought, uh, I've written uh, seven books and I brought them with me and one book that I had written uh, the last year when I was just here and I think it had just come out or it came out right after I was here and, and it, it was uh, for my sister, the title of it is for my sister and one in three women in North Carolina and South Carolina are diagnosed with breast cancer and by the way uh, this is the month that, uh, as their little slogan says, we get our pink on and, and we remember that. And it's a devastating disease. And so this is four months of devotions that I wrote for her. And by the way, she's been cancer-free for a year now, and I just thank God for that. And, uh, and I promise you this, uh, if, if you'll get this, it'll bless you, but it won't take just a few days until you'll run across somebody or hear somebody uh, that needs this. Then I've got a book that just came out just a week ago, and it's called Jesus is Mine. And let me tell you what I did with this. It's a 31-day devotion that takes you uh, through your spiritual experience of salvation. Uh, number one, to be sure that you're saved. And uh, if you're not saved, you need to get saved tonight. Or if you know somebody that's not saved and, and you want to present the gospel to them. And then if you are saved, it helps you understand who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is such an important doctrine. I told you last year I preach either through doctrines of the Bible, through books of the Bible, or through characters of the Bible. And when I was here a year ago, I preached on the doctrine of grace. And tonight I want to preach on the doctrine of salvation. And this will be one of the most important messages that you'll ever hear because I'm going to talk about how a person goes to heaven. So I'm going to ask even all of the young people here for just about 30 or 35 minutes to give me your undivided attention 
as I talk to you about how a person goes to heaven. Now, I'm going to quote a lot of scripture. In a few minutes, I'll get to Galatians 2 and then also Romans 1. If you want to be finding that place in your Bible, I will get to Galatians 2 and Romans chapter 1. But before I ever get there, I want to talk to you about uh, two of the oldest questions found in the Bible. Now, the book of Genesis is not the oldest book in the Bible. It's the first book in the Bible, but not the oldest book in the Bible. The oldest, uh, the oldest literature in the Bible is the book of Job. And Job asked two very important questions. Uh, one question he asked was this. I want to know if a man dies, is he going to live again? If a man dies, is he going to live again? And I want to say to you tonight that everybody in here has a part of you called your soul that's never going to die. Do you realize that? There's a part of you, even though this body's going to die, there is a part of you that lives forever somewhere. And Job wanted to know that. He, he wanted to know, if a man dies, will he live again? And then Job asked a second question. He says, well, you know, if, if he's going to die and if he's going to live again, he says, I want to know how is a man made right with God? So if I'm going to die and live again and there's a God out there and I'm going to stand before God one of these days, how is a man made right with God? A few years ago, I was in, Deborah and I were in Washington, D.C., and uh, I had the opportunity to be a United States Senator for a day and got to address the United States Senate. And right when we were fixing to walk out on the floor, uh, one of the senators said to me, he said, now don't be nervous when you're addressing the Senate, but he said about 15 million people will be watching this by television. Well, that may be a little bit nervous. And then my wife turned, right before I walked out on the Senate floor, she turned and she said, you better behave yourself. <laughs> well, why do you think she would say that? Well, if you knew me, you'd know why she'd say that. And she sat up in what I'd call a balcony, but it's what's called a gallery up there in the Capitol building. And I had already addressed the Senate, and I'd sat down, and the president of the Senate looked down at me and, and pointed at me, and I thought he was pointing at somebody else. And I looked around, I thought, who in the world is he pointing at? But, but he kept pointing at me. And when I looked around, I caught my wife's eyes, and she had her hands on her hips, and I could read her lips. She said, what have you done? And I said, well, I hadn't done anything. I said, I hadn't done anything. And, and he brought me up there, and when he brought me up there, he wanted to ask me a question about the Bible, about late-term abortions. And as I gave him some scripture from the Bible, when I was there, God spoke to my heart. He said, Greg, one of these days, I'm going to do this. Wow. One of these days, I'm going to call you for a one-on-one -on -one with me. And you're going to stand before me. And I'm telling you, when I thought about that, I want to be sure one of these days when I stand before God that I'm right with Almighty God. Job, a man that was known for his patience, was anything but patient when it came to this urgent desire to want to know if he stood before God, how is a man made right with God? Now, when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, 
A lot of people think that begins over in the New Testament. And certainly you find it, the greatest verse ever known of salvation is John 3, 16. But it really begins in the beginning of the Bible. And so give me just a moment to lay just a little bit of groundwork on the doctrine of salvation. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? And you remember when they sinned against God and they disobeyed God? And do you remember because they sinned and disobeyed God, God did what? He put them out of the garden. And the Bible says they hid themselves from God. And then one day, and you find this in Genesis 3 and then also Genesis 4, one day God came into the garden and he was looking for them. And the Bible says they were hiding from God because they were naked and they felt ashamed and they didn't know how to cover up their sins. The only thought they had about covering up their sins is they took some of the leaves from the fig trees. They took those fig leaves and the Bible says they covered themselves up. And here God God came into the garden. Now listen to this. This is very important in you understanding about salvation. God came into the garden, and when he came into the garden, he was carrying a little animal, a little lamb. And the Bible says that God said to Adam and Eve, what you've done is not going to cover your sins. See, what you and I need to understand is that there are two ways that you can approach God. One, you can do it by the way that God says to do it, and I'm going to teach you that tonight. Or the other way that you can do it is a way that man has thought up or conjured up or theorized up and says, well, I think this is the way that you ought to approach God. And that is the uh, distinguishing contrast between Christianity and all the other religions in the world. Christianity approaches God the way God said to approach him. All the other religions in the world approach God the way man says to approach him. But going back to the book of Genesis, so you can imagine the look on Adam and Eve's face when they saw God carrying this little animal, and when he carried that animal in, the, the Bible teaches us that he clothed them with the skins from that animal. Well, there's only one way you can get the skins from that animal. You get that by slaughtering the animal. And you can just imagine the look on their face when God slain that animal. And that animal began to shed its blood. And you see, the, the thing about it is this is God was teaching a principle here that would carry all throughout the New Testament. As one commentator said, you had there the first vivid prophecy and the first vivid illustration of what one day would happen on the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so their sins were covered by the skins of that animal. Uh, people say, did Adam and Eve get saved? Yes, they got saved, but not by wearing fig leaves that they had thought of. They got saved by wearing the skins of the animal that God said was the way that they would be covered. And then they had children. The Bible tells us they had two sons. One whose name was Cain and the other's name was Abel. 
They began to teach those boys the truths of God's uh, word and what God said. And, and I can just imagine them telling the story. I want to tell you how we sinned. I want to tell you how we disobeyed God and what we did in the garden. And God put us out. And we thought we would forever be in out of fellowship with God. But God took a little animal and slain the animal and covered us with the skin. And they taught those boys that the right way to approach God was through a sacrifice was through the shed blood of a little lamb. One boy believed it and another boy did not. You know what the Bible says over in the book of Genesis in chapter 4. The Bible tells us that when Abel came and approached God, he did it through the sacrifice of an animal. But what did Cain do? The Bible says that he found what Abel did disgusting. And so Cain decided to bring the works of his hands and what he had produced and what he had thought up and tried to approach God that way. And there in Genesis 4, it says that God was pleased with what Abel did and he was disappointed with what Cain did. So you and I need to understand that when it comes to being made right with Almighty God, it's not man's way, it is God's way. It's not through the works of our hands, it's through the shed blood and eventually and ultimately the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Now I want to ask you here tonight, do you believe that when I teach you that the only way a man's made right with God is through the shed blood. When I talk about the book of Hebrews, when it says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Do you believe that tonight? And if you believe that, say amen. amen. Well, I want to tell you when Jesus came along and John the Baptist introduced him and said, behold, what? The Lamb of God. <clears throat> and so what had happened annually when all those lambs were sacrificed every year. And what would happen is that high priest would take that lamb and the blood of that lamb. And he would go back into the holy of holies. And he would sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the, on the mercy seat. And find out whether God would accept that as a payment for their sins for one year. And then the high priest would go back out and let the people know whether they were going to die or whether they were going to live whether or not God would accept the forgiveness of their sins by the shed of that blood. And then when Jesus came along, the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that divided man from the presence of God was literally rent and torn from top to bottom. And through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Man is no longer isolated away from God. But I'm telling you, you can come and you can come into the very presence of God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and you can be saved tonight through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads me to ask you this question tonight. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said that he was? Let me ask you boys and girls tonight. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Deborah and I were over in Israel back in the spring. I walked in one of those synagogues there. There's a lot of places they wondered where Jesus might have been. And there's some places they know that this is exactly where Jesus was. 
And in this particular place, because they know that the foundation of this synagogue is over 2,000 years old, and they know it's right beside the house of Peter, they know this is where Jesus stood. And if you turn to John 6, and I'll just paraphrase it for you, Jesus stood in that synagogue, and he said, I want to tell you something. I'm the bread of life, and any man that eat of me shall never hunger again. And I'm the water of life, and any man that drink of me shall never thirst again. And then Jesus said the most audacious, bold claim that any man has ever made. He said, I am the way. He didn't say I'm one way. He didn't have this kind of mindset where people say, well, Jesus is a good way. And Jesus is one way. Jesus said, no, I'm the way. And I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And any man that ever wants to come to the Father must come by me. And as C.S. Lewis has said, Jesus is either who he said he was or he's the biggest liar and the biggest lunatic that has ever lived. And as I stood there in that synagogue that day, and, and preacher, as I read that passage of Scripture, tears began to roll down my cheeks because I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is who he said that he was and I believe he's the only way that, that you can go to heaven. And I would beg you tonight, if you're a young boy or a girl here, and you've never been saved, the only hope that you've got of ever being saved is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says, how in the world are you going to escape if you neglect so great a salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I want to know, do you believe what Jesus said about himself? And if you believe what Jesus said about himself, then why have you not come and received him? Why would you put that off? The Bible never encourages you to put that off. Why would you say that, you know, you're that close? And I've heard people say, I'm that close. I'm that close. I'm, I'm almost persuaded. The man in the Bible that said he was almost persuaded to come to Jesus that put it off never came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you take a risk of dying tonight? Why would you be one breath away or one heartbeat away from going out into all eternity, never having an opportunity to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why would you do that tonight? Oh, how I beg you to come and accept the Lord Jesus. But with that said, I realize that most people here tonight is already saved. And I want to ask you this about the doctrine of salvation. Do you understand what has happened to you since you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Most people that I meet, when it comes to salvation, it's, it's like the old preachers used to say, Pastor, their, their salvation's like an old bed. And some of you sleep in an old bed. And you know what I'm talking about. It's firm on this end. And, and it's firm on this end, but it, it swags right there in the middle. It, 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 it goes low right there in the middle. And, and on this end... You know that you've come to the Lord Jesus, though you don't fully understand what transpired. And you know you're going to go to heaven and nobody's going to have you to doubt that tonight. And you're firm on that end. And then on the other end, you're firm. You know Jesus is coming again one of these days. You know that if you die, you're going to go to heaven, but you're not sure what all is going to transpire when that happens. And yet this part in the middle, where we are now, what we're going through now, we struggle just a little bit and we have a hard time getting that right. 
I want to give you a word of explanation about the doctrine of salvation tonight. If you understand what has happened to you, you talk about it driving up your worship. It'll drive up your worship tonight if you understand the doctrine of salvation. So I want you to listen to this. If you're taking notes tonight, there is a big word that's used for what happens to you when you come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. And it's the word justification. Now, I used to hear the old preacher say this, and I, I started saying it when I started out, that, that, that what that means is when I got saved, God looked at me, and I would break the word down, just if I'd never sinned. The only thing wrong with that is it's wrong. That's not at all what that means. Because to, to do that would mean that God gave me some kind of spiritual amnesty, and that's not what he did. That God gave me some kind of a, a pardon as if I'd never sinned, and that's not what he did. Friend, I, wanna, I want you to understand something. The Bible teaches us, and look at what it says here. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You and I got justified because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And what does justification mean? It means this, that when I come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, right then, right there, at that moment, God forgave me of my sins. All of my sins, past, present, and future, that's why I don't think you can lose your salvation. People say, well, uh, what if you sin after you get saved? Well, then you're bringing works into salvation. I don't go to heaven because I don't sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, well, sin comes short of the glory of God. I don't go to heaven because of my works. I go to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when I got saved, God made a declaration about me. Justification is a legal term. It's like standing in a courtroom and you've been standing before a judge and they read the verdict and the judge says to you, you're not guilty. And when I got saved, Jesus made that declaration about me and he says, I'm not guilty. And it's not because he swept my sins under the rug, but it's because of what he did with my sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, and he made a statement about me. It's like when Deborah and I got married and we'll celebrate our 38th anniversary this year. And when we stood there in front of that minister, he, he made a declaration about us right then and right there. He says, you're married. It was a declaration. When I got saved, God said something about me and he said this, you're forgiven and you're justified. And I want to tell you what happened on the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened is what is known as that great exchange what happened is I got the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I get to heaven one of these days, God doesn't see my sins because he sees the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in me. My sins were put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. That's where my sins are. And I got this great exchange. He took my sins. He, he didn't become a sinner. He was never a sinner. He took my sins, the sins that I committed. He took my sins and I got his righteousness. And God declared me not guilty right then and right there. That was settled forever. And nobody can ever take that away from me. And at the moment you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you've been saved, that's what happens to you. And that's what justification means. And it's one act. I heard a guy say, well, I got saved seven times. You don't get saved seven times. You get saved one time in one act, in one moment, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But then you move into what is known 
as a process. Now listen carefully. It's not an act. Justification is an act. But you move into a process that is called sanctification. Now I want to just read you this out of Galatians 2. And let me take just a moment and read this to you. And listen to what it says in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith, there's justification, in Christ, and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh was justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. And listen to this. And I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is sanctification. If justification is one act in one moment, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a process over a lifetime. And let me define it for you. You know what sanctification is? It's as simple, even a child can understand it. Sanctification is God every day making me less like me and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens, it begins. Somebody said, well, when does it begin? It begins at the moment of salvation and justification and it lasts all the way through your life until Jesus comes again or until you die and go to heaven. And yet you and I struggle. I wonder sometimes if you can relate to Paul. Have you ever felt like a spiritual schizophrenic? Have you ever felt like that? I mean, you know, I'm up one day and I'm down the next. I, I was reading in Romans chapter uh, 7, I believe it is. And you go there about chap, uh, verse 15, 16. Paul says, I know what I ought to do. I ought to do what's right. And I, I want to do what's right, but I do what's wrong. And I can't ever seem to get it right. Do you ever feel like that? That's sanctification. Now listen carefully. How many times do you have to be saved? Just one in justification. How many times do you have to be sanctified over and over and over and over again? You see, how many times do I have to die to myself every single day? That's what Jesus meant when he said, if a man will come after me, let him take up the cross. And people will talk sometimes about carrying the cross. And we even alluded to it in the song when we talked about how hard it is to carry the cross. Listen to me. The cross is not for carrying. The cross is for dying. And every day I have to get up. And every day I have to die to myself. And every day I have to become less like me and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's this act of sanctification that happens over and over and over and over again. And God makes me less like me and more like him. And let me tell you how good God is in salvation. He didn't leave us to do that just on our own. Let me tell you things that God uses in sanctification. He uses this book right here. Do you know the Bible says you're sanctified by truth? That's why you need to come to a Bible conference like this. That's why you need to be in Sunday school. That's why you need to hear preaching. You hear the teaching of God's word and how God sanctifies you. That's why you need to pray. You're exactly right, Pastor, when you call us to corporate prayer and also private prayer. God talks to you through his word. God wants you to talk to him through prayer. And it's important that you pray. That's why you ought to worship. You come in here and you learn about God and what God 
God is and what God wants you to do. And you hear instruction and he sanctifies you. God uses repentance. Listen, the Holy Spirit lives within us and we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's like a spiritual referee that'll blow the whistle on you and blow the whistle on me and help me to get right. God uses that in my life. Not only that, God uses trials. I've heard two or three of you mention tonight that you're going through trials and you sing songs about trials. Do you know that God will even use storms and trials to sanctify us and get us to the place where we'll look back at him and God uses other people. All of these things that God uses in the process of sanctification to get you where he wants you to be and what he wants you to be. But let me give you a third thing and write this word down. And it's the word glorification. Now, preacher, I've heard preachers talk about what heaven's going to be like, but I've rarely ever heard a preacher talk about what we're going to be like one of these days. I don't have time to go into it. I, uh, by the way, if I seem a little tired tonight, it's because I just left a black church while ago where I preached to them, and they absolutely about wore me out. I told the preacher's wife, this is the fifth time I've preached today, so there's not but so much left in me tonight. And, and I preached to them out of 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm not going to do that to you tonight, but let me just say this to you. You're going to like your body and what you're going to become one of these days in glorification. You know what's going to happen to you? In 1 Corinthians 15, there's a little hint given there. You take that seed that's put into the ground. What comes out is so much more than whatever is put into the ground. You take that little hard, dark, crusty seed that's put into the ground. Listen, you look at what it looks like, and then you look at something like a watermelon that comes out of the ground that has that multicolored green outside, that red heart and that white rind that a professional artist says you can't hardly imitate with the stroke of a brush. You're going to like what you're going to be one of these days in glorification. Do you know what you're going to get? Everything. Everything that belongs to God's going to belong to you. It might surprise you to know tonight the book of Revelation says that you're going to get to sit on the throne of God. You're not God, and I'm not God, but I'm going to get to sit on the throne of God. It says we're actually going to get to judge in heaven one of these days as his children. It says we're going to be pillars and monuments in heaven one of these days to God. Listen, I'm telling you, if you only knew what awaited you, and if I only knew, they wouldn't have to beg us to worship tonight, we'd be jumping up and shouting and carrying on because I'm telling you, it's going to be good one of these days when we're glorified. And that's what happens with salvation. But I want to ask you a fourth question. Not just do you believe Jesus is who he said he was. And not just why have you not already received him. And not just do you understand what's happened to you when you got saved. But fourthly, do you feel an urgency to get that message out to a lost and dying world? You know what Paul said in Romans 1? If you'll just put that up on the screen. In Romans 1, in verse 14, Paul says, I, I'm a debtor. There's a debt that I owe. Now let me explain to you something about debt. Debt could be that I borrow something from you and I owe it back. I could see one of you tonight and say, you know, I don't have enough gas to get home. Could you loan me $20 and I'll pay you back? And, and if I borrowed something from you, I owe it to pay it back. That's not what Paul's saying. The world has not loaned us anything tonight. Debt can also be that if somebody gave me something to you 
that, uh, that gave me something to give to you. What they passed along to me is what I've got to pass along to you. And do you know what Paul was saying? There's something been passed along to me. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I owe it. I owe it to everybody. I owe it to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. I owe it to the Jew and the Gentile. There's nobody that I don't owe it to. Let me ask you something tonight. Do you really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you believe people without the Lord Jesus Christ are not going to heaven? Do you really believe that there's people living up and down these hollows and, and, and hedges and highways out through here that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? Then why will we not get this message to them? I listened to a missionary over at uh, Fruitland in chapel the other day. And he was talking about, uh, and, and he worked for this Wycliffe Bible Translators. And he was talking about being in a, 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 on an island where it's really like the crossroads of the world. And there's like 180 different languages spoken right here on that one island or right there on that one island. And he said the people were very interesting. He said, number one, it was part of their culture that they didn't want to insult you. And, and they just really would go out of their way not to insult you. And, and he says, also, it was interesting, as we shared the gospel, what they called the gospel and what they called the Bible. He said they called it carvings. And he said that when we began to share with them about Jesus, that they were so taken back by this message that God had sent his son, Jesus, into the world to die, that anybody that would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, that they were so taken by, back by it he said, one man walked off, and he said, you could tell he wanted to insult me, but he walked off. He said, the man came back and referring to the Bible and calling it carvings, said, he said, I want to ask you something. How long have you had these carvings? He said, all my life. He said, the man just sort of shook his head and walked off. He said he came back and he said, let me ask you this. Did your daddy have these carvings? He said, yeah, I've had them all my life and my daddy had them all his life. And he said he sort of shook his head and kicked the ground a little. And he walked off and came back and he said, let me, let me ask you one other question. Did your great-granddaddy have these carvings? He said, Yes. He said, you mean to tell me that you've had this all your life and your daddy had it all his life and your granddaddy had it all his life and you're just now bringing it to me? He said, that's right. There's people that you're going to go to school with tomorrow. There's people you're going to work with. There's people that you're going to live by that need these carpets. And I'm telling you, whether it's through your personal testimony or whether it's just giving them a book that's a devotional book about salvation, you've got to get it to them. You've got to get it to them. And I want to tell you what I want this invitation to be tonight. 
Number one, pastor, if you would, just go ahead and come and stand here in the front. I could help somebody just to play something softly. If you would, go ahead and stand. If you'd just stand up for me for just a moment here tonight. Let me tell you what the, the invitation is tonight. Number one, if you've not been saved, I want you to come and take the pastor by the hand and say, I want to get saved tonight. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior tonight. But if you have been saved, I want, I want you to, if you feel led of God, to come down here and thank God for your salvation. But I want you to come down here and pray and ask God to put somebody on your heart to convict you of somebody that you need to get this to. God bless those that are already moving. I want to ask you just to step out. We're going to have a prayer. Then I'm going to tell you what God will do with what you do here in a moment before we leave. How many will step out and come and just come to this altar and say, God, I want to thank you for my salvation tonight. And God, I know that I'm not the only one you want to get saved. If, if everybody was already saved that's supposed to be saved, Jesus would already be back. The reason Jesus is not back is because there's more people that need to get saved. You and I have this message, these carvings, this truth of the gospel. And we got to get it to them. We've got to realize that there's a debt that we owe. How many will come and join just for this prayer tonight? Just wanting to thank God for your salvation. Asking God to help you. You come. I'm going to pray here in just a second. Would you come? We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.